Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to episode 42 of Fratello On Air. I'm your host, Rob Nutz, calling in from Dresden, and today I am joined by a very good friend of mine, the founder, owner, and chief designer, of course, of Schofield Watch Company. That's Giles Ellis. Giles is based over in the UK, down in Sussex, and we'll be talking to him about a very interesting decision he's just made, and that is to open a shop. That's right, in this day and age, a brick and mortar retail point. Giles, tell us, how did this come to pass? Synchronicity, really. It just happened. Being that um, the last place, my landlord is an asshole. Yeah, that'll do it. And it reached a point where I was just fed up with paying a nasty person money, right? And it reaches a point where you think to yourself, hang on a minute, what, what's going on here? He's just not kind. He's not particularly nice. And um, it was on an old and industrial estate, asbestos roof, leaky, leaky roof, leaky door, very hard to make look nice. And I struggled over the years to make a showroom type shop come office in Henfield where mm-hmm. I was. Now, rent was cheap, so that was good. But um, the building was just horrible. And so it was very difficult to work with. And I tried three times to make a showroom. And we expanded into neighboring offices to make the place bigger, thinking, hang on, now we've got space for a showroom. I can have a proper office rather than a dressed office. A dressed office where people come into is actually very difficult to administrate um, because you need your box files out, right? You need your whiteboards. You need this stuff to help with the business itself. And so I moved the, the office into a back room and it was a functioning office, a proper office. Uh, however, every customer that came around, I took into the back office <laughs> because it's there that I would show them things, show them stuff on the computer, new developments. And I, I do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it became irrelevant, the front showroom. And after many years of showing guys watches, I've now learned how they want to interact. It's not a Bond Street shop where you have a glass of mineral water and you sit down at a coffee table in a low-lit room on a couch. Mm-hmm. It's not that, and it never has been. Guys don't want to sit down on a couch, and I can't bring them things and keep serving them things you know, on a coffee table. It doesn't work like that. I realized um, I needed a bar, essentially, somewhere I can stand behind, get bits and pieces out, they go down on a bar. The bar is at the right height for when you're trying on watches. And the bar is carpeted, so it's a soft surface. Um, that's an old trick that I learned from my dad, who always has his woodwork bench carpeted because the dust and grit falls into the pile, and you mm-hmm. can't damage anything that's sitting on the surface. Nice. So when I'm handling the large boxes and everything else uh, and packaging, a carpeted high surface is much more practical. So building a bar with a bar stool where I am now means that guys can come up to the bar and uh, just perch on the bar stool. And that's a much better way of interacting over watches and pens. So I'd had a bad day because a supplier had let me down. It was the little tritium T1 we make. Oh, I know the thing, yeah. And I'd ordered this metal casing to be made. And so this screws apart like so. And inside is the tritium gas insert. Mm -hmm. And I'd ordered these with the promise of these coming. And this guy here um, said, no way. Sorry, uh, we're not making them anymore. You can't have any. 
And so I was heartbroken, right? And it's only a little thing, but that kind of thing drives me mad because that's a good chunk of change on making these little bodies and getting them uh, plated and everything else. So I went for a walk down the river. I saw a kingfisher. I hadn't seen one for years. And so I was pretty stoked. I was walking past the shop. The builder and decorator was in here. I said, what's the deal? And he said, it goes up for rent at the end of the week. So I phoned the landlady there. Uh, it was right in the middle of lockdown. I put on my mask. I walked in just to check out that I was getting enthusiastic about something or other. And she said, yeah, okay. And so I met her on the Monday. This was on a Friday. Met her on a Monday, signed a lease, and it was just meant to be. And Crazy. I often feel in business, yeah, so so exciting. So I often feel in business you have paths are sometimes laid out in front of you, and there is no alternative. All right. It was in Schofield's, it was its destiny to have a shop. It came, it happened, and I had no other choice because it was cheaper to rent than the last place. It's a hundred yards from my house. I live on the same high street up the road. You're joking. <laughs> yeah. And so my commute to walk, it negates having a car, essentially, because I can walk to work. It means then that I can spend both more time at work and less time at work. And what I mean by that is that I can pop between home and here. So I can pop in at the weekend rather than just giving a whole weekend up to, to Schofield. It means I see the family more, uh, back for lunches, that kind of thing. If the dog and Alice comes by and they want to go for a walk, I can join them. So the trickiest thing now is what do I write on the door? Because it's not a shop where I'm going to be beholden to shop hours. I can't do that. You know, I, don't, I want a simple, I want a happy life, right? And so living in a gilded cage, which is what shops are for so many people, is not what this was ever about. However, I have to have some shop presence because it's not a showroom, it is a shop. And I do want people to pop in. I do want people to say, are you in? And I can be in. Um, and so... I've got to come up with something fairly amusing uh, on the door about how it's worth a try pressing the bell. You know, if I'm here, great. If I'm not, try again another day. You know, it's going to be something fairly loose uh, so that I still have the flexibility. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It sounds, uh, sounds like once you've got that little uh, slogan sorted out, it'll all be plain sailing. Absolutely right. What's interesting about a shop more than a office is that you have you have to treat your shop as a salesperson, right? The shop has to speak the language of Schofield. It has to dress accordingly, which it has. That was a big effort, right? And then it has to go to work and it has to sell watches. You don't get that with an office. So the shop has a job to do. And that's the added value of having a shop. It make, gives it greater value for money. Uh, it's cheaper than an employee, essentially, but actually can work pretty hard. And so it's been deliberately designed. It's only a small shop. I'm, I'm, I'm sounding like it's a bigger deal, right, than it is. But it's a big deal to me because I spend my life here. And it's been designed in a way to work as hard as possible, to leverage that so it's it's cool in a Schofield kind of way. You know, it's off by the river. The river is, is is literally five yards that way. And I can look south down the river to the sea, to Shoreham, where we, where we always speak about. And the shop is kind of interesting enough to make you go, yeah, I get it. I get Schofield. Uh, I get what we're about. So, yeah, it's it's cool. It's, it's exciting times for sure. I think it looks, from what I've seen of it so far, it looks like a perfect ambassador for the brand. And that is exactly what you needed from that space. When I first saw via the Six Pips newsletter that you were pursuing this avenue, obviously I didn't know the backstory with the landlord and the previous problems that you had in the old place and uh, the way you'd 
realized over time it didn't work exactly as you wanted that space to work for you before. But I was thinking, wow, what a bold move, even before Corona times, to go into physical retail now. But I see now you've brought everything into line and you've branded it so so perfectly as I expected you would really. I mean, the execution of everything is really what Schofield is always about, isn't it? I mean, there's the design, but then it's just brought to life in the best possible way. Often, I'm sure at great cost to you, both financially and emotionally and the hours of sleep that you lose agonizing over the finest detail of everything. But it's clear, even just from the small shot I can see behind you right now, that it um, it really is doing its job already. And the doors aren't open for business yet, right? Or is that no, even- not really. Though I've had a couple of guys come by and just say, "Are you here?" And I'm like, "Oh, should I? Or shouldn't I?" <laughs> Are you here? A couple of meters away from them, and it's one person in the shop. So, you know, from that point of view, I, I, I've made a couple of uh, uh, times where I have opened the door, um, but they've been planned, click mm-hmm. and collect style visits. I see. I rather, see. Rather than browsing, the effort. You're absolutely right. Was was great at great cost to Schofield from the rest of the business point of view because it becomes very consuming choosing tiles and matching colors and actually getting samples and trying to do everything properly Uh, and also doing everything myself so I'm happy doing DIY I'm happy building there's a couple of jobs I don't touch but generally in here I could do everything myself and so that took a long time but it means I could justify more on the cost of materials of because the cost of labor was was me and so yeah that was that was pretty hard work but i love it so it wasn't uh, a sacrifice in a negative way it was just great fun doing it and getting it right and like you say if you design something with a particular eye for detail you also do with a particular eye for detail and so i'm happier doing things myself rather than letting other people do them because uh, i tend to go around cleaning up and fixing up their shortcomings as it well were. yeah of course i mean you are you are Schofield and when you have a vision in your head uh, although you're one of the best I've met in the industry for being able to put it down on paper and then bring it to life it is your vision and you see something very clearly and I think that uh, it doesn't make sense for you to hand off to anybody anything that you can do yourself because you'll always make sure it's done to that highest possible standard and uh, yeah it may take a bit of time but like you says it, it, it frees up a little bit more money to spend on those materials themselves and absolutely i, I can't wait to be there it looks so tactile oh, thank the you. Shop. It really <laughs> does. Wait you to here. yeah it's uh it's like i said i've been i show people in the pips this crazy dura coffee machine i've got that's built for 400 coffees a day uh and it gets the pleasure of making two so uh it needs a little bit more use so i am looking forward to people coming by uh, one interesting quirk of the shop is what you have to do for the community being a shop because of course the community wanted to be a hairdresser a nail bar or perhaps a coffee shop um okay and uh it, it's what can i do then for the community and it interestingly it looks like i'll be changing watch batteries so uh, even when we were putting up the vinyl for the uh, windows i had three people come by and say are you changing watch batteries so i've ordered the uh, renata blister packs on amazon prime <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It looks like that's what I'll be I'll be doing every other day is changing a watch battery until they're all done in the area. So uh, yeah, well, you want to stock mind. up uh, stock up on a few tubes of Polywatch, or if you want to save cash on that front, just get some um, some toothpaste, non granulated toothpaste, and a polishing cloth, and then you can do people's crystals as well while you're at it. <laughs> okay, I actually don't want to, so uh, I, need to be, I need to be behind the curtain, literally, actually behind the curtain, designing my uh, next uh, you know my next watch. So uh, yeah. 
Have you got, just so I know, for my own peace of mind, do you have a case back closer yet if you're going to be taking battery changes on board? Uh, I don't, but I am getting one. Great. One is one is on order so that I can do the press fits properly. I don't use press fits for Schofield, of course. So oh, of course. I have, I have all the other gear. Yeah. Uh, but for the secondas of the world, then, uh, yes, I'm going to need uh, an extra tool there. Now, I can use my crystal press, of course. However, I do need a few extra bits and pieces. So, uh, yeah. Never, ever skimp on the chucks. I learned that. At great personal cost and woe, about 17, 18 years ago, when I was working for H. Samuels, it was my first job in the watch industry, and somehow I ended up being charged with battery changes. And I changed the battery for someone's watch. I think it was a rotary. In my head, sometimes it's a Rolex, but it's definitely not. Thank it's God. It's, yeah. it's definitely, definitely something <laughs> yeah. affordable. Yeah. And I used the wrong chuck, so I had it face down on the case back press, and I used a tiny little chuck about, I don't know, 32 millimeters or something, and the watch was 38. And I pulled down on the lever to close the case back and uh, went straight through the mineral crystal, straight through mm. the dial. And that was uh, that was an uncomfortable conversation to have. I was only it was the first time I'd ever done it. Nobody in the store knew how to uh, put a case back back on, but I, I learned that way and the hard way. So hopefully that will never happen to you. I'm sure hopefully. it will. I really don't need the stress of that. Yeah. No. No, not at all. Okay, I have two questions for you. Firstly, I've always been interested in knowing what motivated you to start Schofield Watch Company. Where did that inspiration come from? What did you see about the industry or the products offered within it that you wanted to change? And secondly, how has owning your own company and being able to design exactly what you want affected your relationship with existing products like watches and pens, for example? If I can make something for me that I absolutely love, then it supersedes everything that got me to that point. Uh, And the pen is a great example of that. And the watch is a great example of that. You know, the watch supersedes me from wanting other people's watches. I mean, I'm wearing an Elliot Brown today because it's a mate's watch, but the point is, is that I don't go out and collect watches. Uh, I can't afford the ones I would like. Yeah. Um, and pens, there's nothing out there that makes me think that that's better than mine um, because mine has been, been designed for me, solely for me, and it satisfies everything I want in a pen. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I envy that, and uh, I, I think that I, a lot of people would like to be in the same position, you know, where they are such a – competent and confident designer that they can see something they can see the problems in what they have already before them and they know how to change it they know what to do you know that's largely the problem for the rest of us Charles. we just don't know what to do we can maybe tell that there's something not quite right about it but yeah which is why my advice is just go and buy the thing that you cover and get the job done and that's it you know um that's the first that's the first thing to do if, if you want to get into designing any product is just to buy the thing that's closest to it and just swallow the last three percent difference and that three percent difference is generally taste rather than manufacture or engineering or tolerances or finishes it's just taste you know what are you into at the time and everything is fashion everything um because doesn't matter if you think buying the 1000 mile pair of boots is going to last you a lifetime they don't because you change your mind and you want something new And the same is true for everything that includes watches and pens uh, in the respect that your tastes change over time. Um, And the trick is to make that time frame in watches and pen design as long as possible. And so you generally do that by being classical 
rather than wacky. If you're wacky, then all of that flair is of the now. It's zeitgeist flair, generally. Mm -hmm. And so you have to move away from that in order to design something classical, because then that time frame lasts a very long time. And often that's dictated for you by the very nature of something being really expensive. You don't want to go off it. It's like getting a tattoo, right? You can't not like it because you've got to live with it. It's the same when you buy a watch. It's very difficult not to like it. You've chosen it. It very rarely disappoints you because you paid so much money for it. And also you don't want to go off it. We all do because we trade watches. We sell them. We buy something else, right? Um but my job is to make something last as long as possible so that when the owners have it, it, it endures from a design point of view. There's enough giving from the design, and I call that design perdurance. It's a ridiculous, archaic word. But it means that the design keeps on giving to you. And this is what you don't get with a Rolex. No offense to Rolex, but when you buy a Rolex, you know exactly what you're getting. There's zero surprises. There's zero because you've seen them all before, right? You've seen it in a shop. You've seen your mate have one. You know what it is like front and back. With a Schofield, it's not quite the case because you are likely to have seen. But at the same time that when you do own one, there's more detail deliberately built in to give to you. And that generally is a play on light. So you take something like a Breitling Navitimer. It's a very complex watch. And so it can keep on giving to you as you learn what those complexities on the dial actually mean and how you could use them, right? But that's where it really limits itself, I feel. So by playing with light, it means that whenever you take the watch or move it in and out of different lighting conditions, then it gives to you because it acts in a surprising way. One of those, uh, one of the examples I can give for that is the Daymark chapter ring. We've spoken about it before, Rob. Those little pink hats, they're almost too small to see with the naked eye, but when they catch the light, they flare pink at you. And it's always surprising when it does it. The black lamp, the glowing ring, you know, the nature of the dial with the record grooves, the way we play with matte surfaces and gloss surfaces is a deliberate design ploy in order to give during different lighting scenarios, playing with loom like we do. I mean, you do so, that in so many different ways across the collection, not just with the watches, but with the pens and with the accessories, but also with the, the packaging. The boxes that your watches come in are in themselves works of art. And I remember the first time I visited you down in, in Sussex, you took out one of these new types of boxes. I think it was some prototype you were trying to make with a rare type of Japanese wood and uh, certain fixtures and fittings that you'd found in a hidden treasure chest buried on an island in the middle of the Pacific, having fought your way through a brigade of pirates to get there. I don't know what it was. It was something like, how, how is this like, how is this even affordable? You had the slogan, like, all we make is treasure, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's still on the window behind us here. <laughs> um, yeah. oh, cool. And actually that, that brings me to, well, it will bring us that to the next watch uh, that I'm making. Uh, the treasure box and this notion of treasure that we use. I realized that Schofield's products were treasure by the very conundrum that a lot of my customers faced. And that was when they discover treasure, uh, sorry, Schofield, it is like discovering treasure. And the conundrum is, do you keep it to yourself or do you share it? 
And we often found that to be the case, so that, that we didn't spread by word of mouth because the owners of Scope would want to keep it for themselves, right? They'd hit a jackpot and they were like, this is cool. I want to be part of this. And I don't want to tell my friends about it because I don't want my wealthier friend to buy that model or this model. And we actually have spoken to guys about this. It is something that happened. I know a guy that could not tell his brother because his brother earned considerably more money than him. And he knew his brother was going to buy it without any thought in the world. Whereas this guy loved the brand, had to save for it. You know, he was really immersed in what we did. And I love that. I always thought that was a really interesting and cool place to have a brand uh, and the products and the notion that this item that we're making is to be treasured, but also coveted as treasure and not shared. I thought that was really interesting. I've never looked at it that way before. And it's really fascinating to hear you say that because I, I wouldn't have drawn that line between the treasure association and whether or not people keep it to themselves. And it's interesting that in a way you prefer that mode of, uh, of sales and of building that kind of community because it is so passionate and exclusive and within itself there are so many people you know how you communicate with your with your clients or friends of the brand as it were using their their first initial of their surname normally i guess or sometimes maybe their first name mr c mr n mr e and uh all of all of that it's it's a wonderful kind of almost league of gentlemen style of uh communication feels like you're part of a secret club and it feels very 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 special very unusual the exact opposite of uh, wanting a brand to blow up in the traditional sense because then it would lose a lot of what makes the brand what it is absolutely right and we knew that right from the very beginning the first days when we gave away a cigar tube with a cigar in it to new customers as a welcome gift for them to see the quality of Schofield whilst waiting for their watch to be delivered. We don't do that now. Uh, it, again, it's, it comes back to how is this thing affordable? Um, and it really isn't. And that's the problem from my perspective. From a business perspective, my margins are atrocious, which is why we do not sell in shops, uh, which is why we've streamlined the business as much as possible by factoring in creativity, over expense for the sake of expense. And the only way we can do that is to move outside of the traditional watch supporting industry by not getting our boxes made by traditional watch box makers. You know, I have met the outfit that make Panerai boxes and I know how expensive they are, but they have to buy between five and 10,000 at a go uh, in order to keep those costs as low as possible. Wow. I can't get anywhere close to that. Um, but it also means then that I can build in the value because it's that that gives me pleasure is building in the value. But every time I do that, the product gets more and more expensive to make. Adding a gold uh, a leafed X to the top of the boxes, X marks the spot, that's where the treasure is, is added pounds to each time I have to order a box. Mm. And then saying I want the German hinges, not the cheaper brass hinges. Mm -hmm. And so that eggs adds money to the project. Uh, and I do this along the way. And this is where I'm not a particularly good businessman. You know, I'm passionate about the products I make and the quality and the legacy um, supersedes um, the viability of good business, if that makes sense. I care less about that side of things other than staying afloat. Uh, and like I said, being able to pay my bills, um, but leaving behind products that I put everything I possibly can into. There is no stone unturned. Everything is done with a 
passion that comes from trying to impress. And I used to use that that sentence a lot more in my formative years uh, and less now because I'm developed uh, maybe a more callous attitude into not trying to impress you, but m- trying to impress myself more. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference there because one means that I don't really listen to what people want. And I'm not talking about Schofield customers, uh, the ones I communicate with. I'm talking about the industry, mm-hmm. uh, industry trends, um, what you can glean from being a forum goer um, and getting that kind of information to influence your business, I find very damaging. Um, and I made this mistake 10 years ago where I had I consulted with Ariel Adams from A Blog to Watch. And um, he, I had gone through a phase of designing the signalman um, and then redesigning it many, many times whilst trying to appeal to as many people as possible, thinking I have to do something that other people will want. I spoke to Ariel Adams, and apart from him saying that I absolutely have to have some red on the dial, um, he also said you can't please all the people all the time. And he was absolutely right. And I just needed an industry person to say that to me in order for me to go back to my original design, which is what I did that day. I remember wiping the desk clear of all of these modified versions, trying to get the sizing spot on, trying to get you know, uh, all, uh, an exhibition case back or doing all of these things that I thought were really valuable um, touch points for somebody to buy a watch, but actually they weren't. And it, and it was a, a watch for me. And this, I guess, quite rightly brings us back round to your initial question and that is what was I thinking I suppose what was I thinking launching a watch a watch company and why was it the signalman the first watch that I launched with where where did I get to so working backwards from there the signalman is just a watch for me and it's a vanity project I wanted a watch and couldn't afford a watch I actually was about to make a money box that went in the tiny gap between the fridge and the kitchen wall. And it was going to take pound coins and drop them in a little pot behind the fridge. And this was going to be my watch fund. It was a fund where I couldn't get at it because I'd have to move the fridge. (laughs) I wouldn't know how much was in there because I'm rolling coins down a cardboard chute that I'd made down going behind the fridge. Now, I never made it because my wife was like, well, there's absolutely no way because I'm going to use that money for a family holiday, right? Um, And to justify that to Alice would have been wrong for us. Certainly didn't have the money. And back then, I can't even remember what watch it was that I liked. But I do remember that it certainly wasn't one watch. It was a number of watches. There's no doubt that there was Panerai on the list. There's no doubt that there was Bell and Ross on the list back then um, and all sorts of others. And it became an issue where I liked this about this watch and that about another. And I couldn't settle. I just could not settle um, on anything, nor could I justify it. So in constant Google fashion, going down various uh channels of of kind of leading channels led me to understand that quite frankly they all use the same movements and those movements were available to me i could buy a movement now the issue i had was that i knew if i made a watch myself a one-off i run into the issue of what the dial would look like 
because you can't make a really cool one-off dial generally because there are tooling costs um, and production costs. And this was the turning point for Schofield, was the fact that if I wanted to make this watch, I was going to have to pay to have 100 dials made, right? A minimum order of dials. Um, or I try and make a dial myself, but it's going to be, what, laser engraved, maybe single depth. Yeah, and even that's not as simple as it sounds. Trying to find somebody that will make that for you and to a good quality is really tricky. And then you've got all the issues with dial feet. Now, most engineers in the UK would not know how to fit a dial foot. Uh, it's, a, it's a complicated process. Um, and there are alternatives, but they're compromising. Um, so I knew that this was the only thing I could do. Now, I've done uh, on the watch company by now thousands of hours doing a Concorde, right? I had committed and committed and committed to this project. And I remember saying to Alice, shall we do it? Meaning, shall we actually pay to have these cases made in Germany, of which there was also minimum orders? And shall I pay to uh, order the movements and buy all the other bits and pieces that required, including the hands and dials for a, a dial and, and, and handset that I had designed, knowing that that was my ideal watch. That was the watch I wanted. And we decided to just do it. And so we committed to that. And it was at that point that we knew I had some watches to sell. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the business plan was three watches in year one. 20 watches in year two, 100 watches in year three, and I hadn't thought about anything else after that. that. And this was one of those arbitrary, very naive business plans. You just jump through the hoops at the beginning of setting up a business because it feels like the right thing to do. The parts started to come in, the bits and pieces, the box, the plastic prototypes before the watch itself. And I went to see a jeweler in Tunbridge Wells. And I knew a, cust- a friend of mine is a customer of that particular jeweler. And so we had an introduction and I showed him my watch and he didn't say a thing. He got up from the desk and he went to the other end of the shop and he picked up the telephone. And it was so bizarre. I remember thinking, what is going on here? And he phoned James Gurney from Salon QP magazine. Of course, I didn't know who James Gurney was. And I remember him saying, James, I've got something for you here. And he made an appointment for me to see James Gurney without consulting me. It was on a particular day at a particular time in London, of which, of course, I went to the meeting. And I sat with James Gurney. He opened the box with a plastic prototype inside. He shut the box and then slid the box to one side. He didn't want to talk about the watch. And he said, tell me about you. And I had no idea what to say. I was there to talk about my watch, thinking this is cool. But he wasn't interested. He's a journalist. Okay, and he wanted the story. He wasn't interested in the product. The product was enough to give him. um, It was it was a validating. It wasn't a piece of crap. Right. It was good enough that he wanted to talk to me and find out what my story was. I didn't have a story. I said, I'll come back to him. I hadn't formulated one. I didn't want to talk to one. If it was going to be a business, it was going to be a faceless business. I don't like the public generally, uh, let alone speaking in front of the public or revealing anything about me in front of the public. But I realized soon that I would not be able to sell a single watch unless I did those things. Okay. And that was to think about my story, uh, which I really struggled with. I'm a middle-class son of a teacher. You know, uh, I don't come from money. I had to borrow the money to start the watch company. There was no marketing budget at all. It was simply make X amount of watches. And that was actually determined by how many movements I could afford, not how many cases, because uh, buying a chunk of movements is extremely expensive. So um, 
And that's how it started, right? It started with me having to think about my plan, really what was about. But I was dealt a fortunate blow, if that makes sense. And that was was that Soprod, which was used for the first, for the signalman, um, delayed my movements by, first of all, a year. So they were due very soon. And I'd already seen James Gurney and they and other people. And then they said, no, you're not having them for another year. Good grief. And that was a massive blow, right? That was huge. I still have a photograph of me holding up a Bob Dylan-style placard saying to the agent that I was dealing with at Soprod, please, I beg you, five movements only. Because if I had five movements, I could build some prototypes and photograph them. And also I had sold two watches to a guy in the village. And his six grand check or whatever it was, was going to be everything to me, right? It was everything. And this is something that people have to realize between an independent watchmaker and one of the large Swiss companies is that the difference between the two is a million miles. And I talked to this about all the people that phone me up for advertising in magazines. They think I'm Cartier and I'm not Cartier. I'm akin to a struggling plumber, right? I'm a sole trader in the UK paying awful amounts of taxes and everything else that we need. And a small shop seems like a blessing, right? Because we can't afford big premises because property down in, in Sussex is so expensive. And our bank balances reflect that. My bank balance for the business is no different to your bank balance, Rob. But Cartier's bank balance is going to be considerably different. Right? For some reason, it seems like a surprisingly easy mistake to make to confuse a brand like Schofield with Cartier or some of the <laughs> massive... You know, it sounds ridiculous, right? But one of the things I notice, and you know that I've always been a, a firm fan of, of Schofield and uh, a friend of yours, of course, and also... I follow other brands in a similar vein. There aren't any direct corollaries in the industry, in my opinion, but similar brands of a similar size and a similar age uh, that face similar problems and communicating to watch consumers from afar how how difficult it is to run a viable business while putting creativity and quality front and center when they always have the ability to compare you directly and quite unfairly, I think, to brands that have the economy of scale on their side, any group brand, anything like a Longines or a Hamilton, which has heritage and it has a huge conglomerate backing it, is a bit is a bit perplexing for me why people don't dig into really what it is that you're getting as often as I think they should. But it's great that you have, again, like a platform to express this and explain it to people in very simple words and very like direct language. Like this is not easy. This is not something that you were gifted, not something that was handed to you. You had to work check to check, you know, sale to sale in the early days. And it's, you know, it's still a tough road because what you're doing is, is so, so out there in comparison to the rest of the industry. You're right. And, uh, independents like myself are doing what we do despite all of these things that we're talking about right. and still come up with a product that can sit shoulder to shoulder with all the other brands that you'll find in an airport duty-free. And that was one of my litmus tests for Schofield. Can the signalman sit shoulder to shoulder in an airport duty-free and not look out of place, not look like it was handmade, not look like it was amateur, not look like it was a fashion watch, mm -hmm. like a diesel watch or a fossil watch? It wasn't meant to be that. It had to have classical styling. And that was really hard. 
And it is an important point because it shows that it shows that the energy that the independents put into their brands is over and above, especially in the UK, when there is no infrastructure here, there is no support network. So mm. I'm running Schofield as in, a, in an island, literally, right? But also there is nothing for me to fall back on. I can't just go and see an alternative dial maker up the road because there are none. If you want to make a dial in the UK, you absolutely can't do a pleeks unless you're hand making stuff like Garrick or uh, Roger Smith. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're not those guys and you're making production pieces and you want a dial made in the UK, it can only be printed, and it can only be printed by a couple of companies, and it's going to be flat print because these guys print um, car uh, uh, speedos and things like that for, for the automobile industry. So they have to really change it up. And so the only way you can work around that is by being creative. And that's what makes independence obviously a lot more exciting. And I'm going to say that, okay? Uh, of course I am. I've already likened us to Rolex in that way. And we certainly can't compete with the giants. We, we just can't. I tried it once and lost an enormous amount of money thinking I had some money and therefore I'm going to spend it on huge advertising campaigns uh, and everything else. And of course, for us, it doesn't sell a single watch. It's not the way it is. It was a huge mistake uh, paying for PR and advertising and events and things like that. So I had a watch. I had a hundred to sell. Okay. Uh, keep one for myself. 99 left to sell. I had one wealthy friend uh, that was going to commit to buying a watch, had 98 watches left to sell, um, essentially. And it was a huge commitment. So in the end, what we did was say after Signalman, we were going to make 300. And uh, we did a variant of the Signalman, which had a DLC case. And we had 100 of those. And we did a few things that just put us on the map immediately. And... Apart from the design, which I think speaks for itself, it's classical, it's kind of cool, it's a little bit different, and it's an independent. And we followed uh, in the trail blazed by Bremont. So Bremont were before me. They blazed the trail. I looked at those guys, and I said, if they can do it, I can do it. Now, of course, we come from very different backgrounds. I believe their backgrounds are banking. They certainly had a whole lot more money than I did. Um but nevertheless, I saw them as human beings, and I always see if some human being could do one thing, then why can't I have a go at doing that as well? And uh, so I, I went for it, and we launched the watch at Salon QP in 2011. Now, I've been selling watches in 2010, and it took me some years, obviously, with the delays to get to that point. But Salon QP was, has become our official launch for that watch, um, and we sold 100 signalmans within the first six months. So suddenly we were like the people, the the golden boys. It was very exciting. You know, I was actually recognized in London numerous times as wow. being Giles Schofield Watch Company. Very bizarre time and exciting. We had so much press, um, you know, double page spreads in the, in the Telegraph calling us the Time Lord. We had I had hand-drawn portraits of me done, advertising campaigns. I was the face of Lamb's Navy Rum. I'm not telling you this i'm not flexing as my daughter would say um but it was just a different time and since then there have been numerous other independent watch companies spring up and maybe i've enabled some of those guys i think you've certainly inspired some of those guys to put their passion into practice uh, it, it was a very unusual story i remember reading uh, an interview of yours in qp magazine 
it must be 2010, 11, I guess. I can't remember the issue number. I think it had a red cover. And uh, that was the first I'd heard of, of your brand and uh, and of you. And um, yeah, it, it gave me the idea that, oh, you know, maybe one day I could do the same thing. And obviously at that time I was, I was at the British School of Watchmaking becoming a watchmaker. So I thought perhaps I could go on a different route, maybe uh, be more artisanal, do more of the mechanics myself. But as I've got older and as I've moved through the industry and held different roles within it, I find that my interest is more aligned with yours than it ever has been in terms of design and in terms of making something specifically for me. I no longer have much interest in designing my own movement. I don't mind working on them. I gladly would assemble my own watches. Maybe that's a little bit of a USP, but no, again, after time, it comes down to that design and it comes down to trying to separate yourself from the pack through quality of not just the idea, but also its execution. And that I think is is the hardest thing for you to continue to do, especially in these times. And yet you are managing to do it. And the shop is the perfect manifestation of that, I think. I think so. And you've got to remember, I, I love it. And, and that's the, the important point here. It's not just vocational. It's the fact that it is still my passion to design and make things that I get to touch and treasure myself uh, every day. And now to see the joy and the enthusiasm from our members when they get to own Schofield uh, products is what it's all about. You know, it's, it's that that is everything to me. I absolutely love it. Designing products and tweaking uh, and not just the products, every single touch point of the business, of course, is designed by me. The website, the shop, as we've already mentioned, all the artworks, all the ephemera, all the packaging, everything is designed by me. And I take as much care over uh, a flyer, essentially, to go in a box as I would do a whole watch itself. Now, a whole watch takes a bit longer because there's more to it, but as much care goes into those things, only because I can't help it. And I love it. So I get stuck in a rut of doing it. People call that flow. Um, and that's where I spend most of my time because it is so fun for me to do that. Yeah, I think the enjoyment you take from the whole process is very clear to see in the end results themselves. And if our listeners haven't seen Schofield Watch Company before or any of the watches that Giles produces, please check out schofieldwatchcompany.com. It's a beautiful looking website and there's a lot of things to discover on there, not just the watches, but also the pens and the various accessories that the company creates also we'll be talking to giles again soon obviously he has a lot of insights that he'd like to share with us about watchmaking watch design what it's like to own and run a company in the modern age and anything else that pops into our minds during that discussion until next time watch fam stay safe and keep on ticking <laughs>